It's Bad History. Hey everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of Bad History. Bad History. My name is Steven and I am joined this week like every single other week with my esteemed colleague and host at large, Dave. What's up, Dave? What's up, Steven? Host at large? Host at large. You're... (laughs) You're the host of multiple, over multiple areas and fields. I assume that's what at large means. I thought I meant like a criminal, like was at large. Oh, because you, like ed- you have like an editor at large, a writer at large, a uh, president at large. President at large. <laughs> large president. Uh, so this is episode number 27 this week, and this week we are going to be talking about local legends. And so the whole idea here was that we were going to pick cities that we, the other person, had to find a local legend about, and we're going to talk about them. And so, Dave, what city did you pick for me? Uh, I chose St. Petersburg, Russia, and, like, I guess surrounding areas. St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg. And so for you, I chose uh, the great state of New Jersey. The great state of New Jersey. So, uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about this week. But before we begin with that, Dave, how have you been, man? Uh, I've been good. I have been working hard uh, in life and also on the podcast, trying to get things uh, better and sounding better things and working good. better. Um, right now, I am in the brink of summer, and our air conditioning broke. For like three days, I awesome. didn't tell you about this, but it was 94 degrees in our apartment, and it was absolute hell. I, I saw your girlfriend's Snapchats. Oh, <laughs> the worst thing ever! I literally filled the tub with cold water, and we stood in it, and we're on our phones. That's that's awesome. how we cooled off. That's awesome. But aside from that, everything's been good. How about you, Steven? Did you see any good movies? Did you play any good video games? You reading good books? Oh. Oh, dude, I haven't done literally anything. It's been incredible. I'm working in a tasting room at a local brewery, so I'm just pouring beers for people. I'm working as a tour guide for Historic Columbia, so that's been a lot of fun. It's really, it's been a pretty chill summer. I can't complain. Uh, I'm going to Europe in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm going to Paris and to Belgium with my family, and so that will be a lot of fun. I'll take lots of pictures for the Facebook page, uh, dude. You gotta, you gotta keep the game going. No, I'm, the games. I've already been thinking about that. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know, this sounds really pretentious. pretentious. Uh, but Stephen and I have both been to Europe a handful of times. Um, sometimes for school, sometimes for pleasure, uh, and we bring each other back like a gift from the host country yeah. that we're in. That's like kind of personifies the country and also our interests and uh they've been pretty good yeah they've been pretty good gifts yeah they've... i got most recently from steven a uh history book in french from like france mm-hmm. and it's really great because i speak french and of course i'm into history so that was a really cool gift yeah and you got me back you got me when you went to london you got me some uh replica newspapers from i think world war Two. yeah yeah it was uh the d-day yeah yep yep um, and then, so we've just been doing this for a couple years because we're a bunch for, of rich, for, fucking white assholes just going around buying each other shit, just traveling, just traveling, <laughs> <laughs> summering in Europe. 
yeah, it's gonna be awesome. So that's what's gonna that's pretty much the the foreseeable future for me. But things have been good. Uh, should we go ahead and jump into the history? Yo, let's do this. Let's Play the do music, it. Okay, Stephen. So, New Jersey, if you don't know, is this like gross, disgusting <laughs> landmass that is more like a tumor on New York City. It kind of <laughs> grows off of it. And um, it has no culture, it has no people, it's just a barren wasteland, pretty much, right? So that's not actually true. <laughs> New Jersey um, is, is very diverse in its, like, uh, landscape, I guess. They've got some, like, really great beaches. Um, I've been to, like, Seaside Heights a couple times when I was a kid. Uh, they've got mountains, they've got fields and forests and all kinds of crazy shit. So New Jersey is not very... Uh, you know, hegemonic as a lot of people would think because of Jersey Shore and other bullshit. So, the story, the local legend of New Jersey that I want to tell, and I, I challenged myself, I said I wanted to do something that you'd never heard of, Stephen. Yeah. So I, I didn't do, like, uh, Jimmy Hoffa, and I didn't do the Jersey Devil. Yeah, that's why, I was, that's why I, I was thinking you might do the Jersey Devil. Yeah, or the Blue Hole or whatever it's called. But I did the story of the Jackson Whites of New Jersey. Have you ever heard of this I have, this group? I have not at all. Okay, so in the Ramapo Mountains of New Jersey, legend exists of an isolated group of mountain dwellers, a separate corporation of inbreeding social outcasts who fled society for different reasons. This group is alleged to be the offspring of Native Americans, escaped slaves, Hessian mercenaries, and West Indian prostitutes. Nice. This group is also alleged to be inbred to the point of physical and intellectual mutation, and this takes place only 30 miles from the heart of New York City. The Hills Have Eyes, New Jersey edition. <laughs> Whoa! Okay, so I'm going to start with the historiography really quick. So there are references from all the way back to the early 1800s and late 1700s which debate the group's origins um, and the origins of the name Jackson Whites. So uh, I just pulled some really interesting ones uh, written about in an article titled A Community of Outcasts from March 23rd, 1872. It claims the Jackson Whites began as a group of fugitive slaves and other outcasts slowly joined to start a community of quote-unquote wild men. <laughs> the article says they buried themselves deep in the fastness and gorges of the mountains and reared children wilder and more savage than themselves. Later in Jam Van Valen's History of Virgin County in 1900, the first literary reference to the name Jackson Whites was found. Uh, and he writes, They were known formerly as Hackensack Indians, but are more properly described as Jackson Whites. They bear little resemblance to the Indians, yet as tradition gives it, they are descendants of Hessians, Indians, and Negroes, but know nothing of their ancestry. So ignorant have they become. So you can kind of see the slant in these kind of early literary sources yeah, on the Jackson yeah, yeah. Whites. 
They're just like, oh, they're monster people. They live in the woods. They like fuck coconuts and like bash <laughs> their heads against each other. What 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 year is this that uh, that source? That's... The first one was 1872, and the second one was 1900. Okay, but in 1911, anthropologist Frank Speck from the University of Pennsylvania wrote. Vagabond white men of all sorts also contributed a share to the community from early days until now. The Jackson Whites may be regarded, therefore, as a type of triple race mixture. So, the racial and cultural identity of the Jackson Whites of New Jersey has always been sort of a deep uh, rooted center of contention among scholars. A lot of them believe it began with Native Americans. A lot of believe it began with fugitive slaves. And then in 1936, John C. Storms writes The Origins of the Jackson Whites and the Ramapo Mountains. And in it, he explains the possible origin of the term Jackson Whites. So, prostitutes from the West Indies were forcibly brought uh, en masse to the British soldiers stationed in New Jersey. They were sort of forced prostitutes. It's really dark and really sad, actually. Yeah, um, it's pretty fucked up. Uh, the man charged with bringing these prostitutes was apparently named Jackson, though no historical record exists which proves this or gives any more insight into it. And Storms wrote, A contract was entered into that Jackson was to secure 3,500 young women whom England felt it could very well dispense with and transport them to America to become the intimate property of the army quartered in New York City. Some of these women came from Britain, uh, while others came from the British colonies in the West Indies, and their offspring interbred with the natives and fugitive slaves and Hessians, and this is where the name Jackson White comes from, allegedly. So all of these accounts are super racist and really <laughs> off-putting. Um, and they fed the legend of the Jackson Whites being these violent, inbred, sort of racially ambiguous idiots. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and 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 most the uh, the 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 thought of anybody who was not white was pretty racist and uh, bigoted. So, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so like you know, first of all, they're coming from these groups which are looked down upon by these writers and you know the people living there at the time you know be they native americans fugitive slaves or dutch or whatever <laughs> you know they're just they're looked down upon steven yeah there's two things that i can't stand <laughs> one people intolerant of other people's cultures <laughs> and the dutch <laughs> So, individuals from the town of Ramapo uh, claim, as children, they were told to stay away from the mountains. The people living up there would catch them if they, you know, stumbled onto, like, a settlement or whatever. Many people living in the areas around Ramapo have anecdotal stories of, like, mixed-race natives emerging from the woods with rifles or other weapons to threaten them for approaching their land, you know. From out of the woods comes the threat. From or out whatever. of the forest comes the there threat. It is. From out of the forest comes the threat. What was that even from? And, like, what was that? Uh, that was just a bellism. Okay, cool. That's what I thought, but I was making sure. We had this teacher, and uh, that taught <laughs> AP AP language when we were 
juniors and his like catchphrase was from out of the forest comes the threat which i guess was a recurring theme in american literature but like the dude was living it it was like a life motto he had that shit written up on the board it was like he had a big picture of himself with like a quote underneath it it was weird oh jesus bell was great he was fantastic he was fantastic so this sort of spooky story is followed up with some sparse anthropological studies that actually show polydactyly in some of the inhabitants which is of course like extra fingers growing on other fingers and stuff like that which is a sign of sort of inbreeding but it's not indicative necessarily you know it's sort of like um like the chin thing or you know mental disabilities the Habsburg cleft chin yeah where like (laughs) these things could be definite signs of inbreeding but it's sure. not necessary. Okay, so that is the legend. That is the source material. Now, here's the truth, which is actually much more sobering and makes way more sense. So, the term Jackson White is a pretty racially insensitive and derogatory term, modernly, okay? So, up until the 1970s, the term Jackson Whites was seen as a shorthand for the term jacks and whites which was old slang for blacks and whites and this really reflected the multiracial ancestry of those who lived there so it was pretty much just a bunch of bigoted white folk who saw you know interracial couples and were like ew that's gross i don't like that (laughs) that's different (laughs) they're different (laughs) the actual individuals that inhabit this area are the ramapo lenape mountain indians This is the group that were called the Jackson Whites. They're a small tribal organization of native peoples that number somewhere from 2,600 to 5,000 individuals. The last census was in the 90s, and it was around 2,600. The group received state recognition, actually, as a native tribe in 1980, but they haven't received federal recognition yet. I think that has something to do with numbers, but I'm not super well versed on uh, Native American recognition laws. Uh, The Ramapo Lenape Indian Nation is comprised of the descendants of the Hackensack, Tappan, Ramapo, and other Indian groups that conglomerated over the years um, that also allowed African, Dutch, and then other Natives to join over the years. So this is where the interbred and interracial identity comes from. Alongside the Powhatan Renape Nation and the Nanatecoke Lenny Lenape Tribal Nation, the Ramapo are a part of the United States Recognized Tribes of New Jersey, which is an organization set on caring for Native members in the state of New Jersey. So where does all this bullshit come from, right? Where do all these spooky stories and horrible things come from? Well, it's really media representation, as always, right? Right. The legend of the Ramapo being this hills have eyes type of horror hillbilly group is due entirely to myth and media the racist and pseudo-scientific articles of the past a lot of which i actually just read aloud to you Mm -hmm. uh, have painted the group as a violent bunch of outcasts but in fact the organization is very active today and although they live in preferred isolation as a lot of native groups do 
they communicate often with the rest of the world, and many even leave and go live away from the Ramapo Mountains. So, like, they're among us. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, it, they're not any... You wouldn't notice anything different about them. The notion that savage and wild peoples lived so close to New York City was a big interest to sell to the city-dwelling people, right? It's like, oh, it's so scary out there. You gotta stay in the city because there's these crazy hillbilly murderers out there in the woods right Right, outside the city. And that sort of, like, excited them and and fed their urban legend and and these myths of these people. So, like, a group so different was so close. Uh, Just excited New Yorkers who retold and blew up the legend and made it more of a campfire horror tale. But in reality... The Ramapo natives are just a group of natives who possibly accepted others with open arms to join their community hundreds of years ago. So they were, like, really accepting and super nice and something that you don't see a lot. Like, it's they're almost heroes, if you think of it that way. Right, sure. Like, the, these natives openly accepted these other people who wanted to leave that greater part of society. And uh, the anti-Indian slant of the journalism is very apparent. Um, At the time, it shows strongly when studying the group, who just openly reject the name Jackson White today as derogatory. That's, like, a pretty bad... Like, I've said it a fucking shit ton of times. Um, But, like, a lot of people are really offended by it. It's like the term Eskimo. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Where, I guess, like, the greater population aren't aware that these terms were fabricated by third parties uh, when the actual people have their own name, and their own name is what they call themselves. So, in the Ramapo Mountains of New Jersey, this you know these Native Americans live, and they've lived for hundreds of years. A lot of people argue since the 1770s, wow. or, sorry, 17-teens, <laughs> uh, where they moved up from various surrounding areas to escape uh, like white sort of encroachment and the mountains were just like a safe haven and it was a safe haven that they offered to all who wanted to live there so the notion of these crazy murderous hillbillies who are interbred and don't speak English or you know they eat bones of men and crush their skin and wear it like moccasins I don't know if I can yeah it's bullshit <laughs> You're racist and it's bullshit, New York. <laughs> What's now? But, <laughs> but that's that's the story of the Ramapo Indians of New Jersey, also known formerly as the Jackson Whites. So there you go. They're very interesting, Dave. Good scrolls. Thanks a lot. It's uh yeah, I, I knew nothing about that, and um, I think I'd heard of the Ramapo Indians before. Name sounds very familiar, but but yeah, I never heard of that whole the whole story behind that it's very interesting yeah there's actually a lot of uh like first-hand accounts online if you just like youtube it or Mm -hmm. google it where people are like you know sitting on their porch and it's like kind of blair witch style where they're just like don't go off in them there woods (laughs) them jackson whites gonna get you (laughs) like they've been telling these stories like all these years meanwhile like a ramapo drives up in a jeep and is like handing out flyers for like an event or something it's like I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> like they're regular people. I've got I've got an image in my mind of what that looks like, and I'm imagining an old white grandmother 
Oh just yeah. Sitting on the porch in the rocking chair. In the rocking chair. <laughs> no, exactly. Those damn New Jerseyans. Yeah. <laughs> eating spaghetti and being racist all day. Spaghetti? Well, because they're Italian. Oh, I don't fucking know. Fucking... That's the end of my story. Everyone in uh, New York is it or New Jersey is Italian. A fucking course they are. <laughs> but anyway, guys, there's tons of literary sources if you want to check this out. Um, look for works by John C. Storms. Check out J.M. Van Valen's History of Bergen County. And then also I referenced that actual Ph.D. anthropologist from the University of Pennsylvania, Frank Speck. This was actually published in the University of Pennsylvania in Ivy League Schools Anthropology Journal. And it's bullshit. <laughs> so just... Check it out, but uh, you know, don't don't say Jackson White. That's a racist. Unless you know somebody whose name is Jackson White, then you can call him that. But don't. Then you but can you call could. him that. You could, <laughs> but don't. Anyway, Stephen, I want to hear your story of Saint Petersburg. All right, let's Play move on. All right, Dave. Yes. So. St. Petersburg is one of my favorite cities uh, in That's the world. That's why I picked it. Yeah, it's very cool. It's I've never actually been there. It's on my list of places I want to get to. But but it's just the whole history behind it is very fascinating for me. Uh, but I, I had kind of a hard time finding a good urban legend to tell about. Because the, the, the city itself is pretty young, relatively speaking. It was built in the 1700s and... For, for for a Russian city that's relatively young. I mean, a lot of the Moscow itself is extremely old. and But the town itself is certainly legendary, right? It was built by Peter the Great and it was intended to be kind of this gateway to the, to the, to the West. And so what I decided to do is kind of go off of that. And I'm going to be telling two different stories that are kind of interconnected with each other. The first I'm going to tell is kind of the background and the history of St. Petersburg, and it has to do, the first story has to do with that. The second story is going to be a little bit more specific. So St. Petersburg was founded in 1703 by arguably the most famous czar in Russian history, Peter the Great. And the city itself was kind of a dream for Peter. It was, uh, it was the ultimate accomplishment for him, but he never actually saw it fully developed. He died in the 1720s. The city itself wasn't actually completed until a few years after his death. But really, the city, in Peter's eyes at least, solved two big problems that Russia was really facing. Uh, the first big problem that, Ru- that he believed Russia was facing was that it wasn't Western enough. And in his youth, Peter traveled across Western Europe and became extremely enumerated by, by the culture of Western Europe. And so when he got back, he wanted to Westernize Russia. You know, famously, he went around with a pair of, uh, of shears and cut off men's beards, right? He would go- There's the famous pictures of him or drawings of him cutting off the beards of the Russian <laughs> the men. Famous- Polaroids. The famous Polaroids. <laughs> He's got the trimmers out. <laughs> Dude, it's gonna happen again. There's gonna be like a great hipster exodus. It's gonna be like some great hero walking through the streets just shaving beards off. Just shaving beards and cutting off man buns. He so he decided to model Saint Petersburg after some of the greatest cities in Western Europe. If you look at the city, you can't help but kind of be reminded of Versailles and Paris and Rome. I mean, they look very, very Western. I thought St. Petersburg was modeled after uh, Amsterdam and Venice. Uh, I mean, it, it was simply because of how, the location, and I'll talk about that in a second. There's, con- You know, it was built on a swamp, 
So they built a lot of canals through the city. But if you were to actually look at the city, it looks a lot like Paris and Versailles. And it's been called the Paris of the East. But but it does kind of resemble Amsterdam and Venice in the way that it's it's uh, it got the canals that kind of run through it. Anyway, the second problem, and I would say arguably the, mo- the more important of the two problems, was that it gave Russia a really true port to the West. And it sounds crazy when I say that Russia was almost kind of semi-landlocked. Um, but it kind of effectively was. Russia is really, really big, right? I mean, it's the biggest land-wise country in the world. But a large part of the country, I would almost argue most of the country, is uninhabitable. And the yeah. most, the majority of the population lives in, like, the western fourth of the country. Um, yeah. it lives in, they live in a very small area. And so if we're just looking at that part of Russia, there are really only two large bodies of water that they can access, the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. But throughout Russian history, they're constantly fighting for land on both of these areas. And even then, they don't provide a great access point to Western Europe. I mean, the Caspian Sea to the Middle East, uh, the, the, the Black Sea kind of to the West, but not very direct. But either way, they're constantly fighting for, for, for holds over these areas of land. So St. Petersburg was really this answer. It's situated right on the Baltic Sea, and it allowed Russia to kind of pop out right into the north of Western Europe and right near Sweden and Norway and the Baltic countries. Because you know Russia and Sweden are they're bros. Oh, right? they're total, total bros. And At fe- this time. <laughs> uh, so, speaking of which... We're, this this kind of leads right into our first story. Okay, cool. During the Great Northern War, <laughs> <laughs> in which Peter Peter the Great is uh, has again brought Russia into war against Sweden, uh, Peter captures a very small fortress right on the swampy coast of the Baltic Sea, and there he decides to build an even bigger fortress named the Peter and Paul Fortress. And this is the first brick structure of St. Petersburg. This is kind of the beginnings of St. Petersburg. And he decides in this spot to build his window to the west. So right right off the bat, Peter is faced with two big problems. He needs laborers, and the spot that he chose for his grand city was more or less a swamp and marsh. Well, you know, Russia's never had a problem finding a laborer. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. I mean, the, the, the old Russian war strategy is just give them rocks and sticks and just have them run at the enemy. I mean, they'll run out of bullets before Russia runs out of people. Uh, but it works. It, I mean, I, it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> depends on what your definition of success is. So, in order to to solve these problems, he first brought in German engineers to drain the swamps and to build canals through the cities. Uh, and then, secondly, he brought in over 500,000 serfs, because even though it's 1703, feudalism is still a thing in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of... <laughs> kind of hasn't been a thing for about 200 years in the rest of Europe, but those Russians, they love their feudalism. Um... <laughs> And this is kind of where things start to get a little bit gruesome. And by by a little bit, I mean a lot. (laughs) The city itself is pretty far out there. Uh, 
and it lacked consistent access to food and medical supplies and even basic shelter. Uh, Even more so, just because the water was gone doesn't mean that the area was any less of a swamp. I mean, the shit was hot, humid, and riddled with disease. I mean, swamps breed disease, right? Uh, And so, all in all, it is estimated that close to 100,000 serfs died while building this city. Yeah. Uh. 100,000 serfs died. And to make things even worse, when they died, they weren't given a proper burial. Their bodies were simply thrown in with the rest of the city's foundation. Oh, yeah. So the city itself is believed to have literally been built on bones. Literally. Now, whether this is actually true or not is kind of up to some debate. Surely, people did die during the building of the city. I mean, we're not going to argue about that. It happened. But as we have said before many, many times on this show, fuck record keeping. Fuck record keeping, dude. And so we don't really know how how many died. It could have been 20,000 or could have been 150,000. I mean, we, we just don't know. Um, But one thing that kind of is for certain is that lots of people died and their bodies were just kind of thrown in underneath the city the city was built on top of their bodies uh so right off the bat saint petersburg is off to a gruesome gruesome start and so now i kind of want to tell a more localized smaller story a more a more uh, specific story about saint petersburg let's do it so in 1768, Catherine the Great des- decides to build a massive bronze statue of Peter the Great in St. Petersburg to commemorate her grandfather-in-law. Because remember, Catherine the Great is not directly related to Peter the Great. Her husband, who she he or she arranged to overthrow in a coup, was the grandson of Peter the Great. So, and what many people believe as an effort to kind of gain sympathy and uh, to kind of gain some effort of legitimacy, she builds this massive massive bronze statue of Peter the Great in St. Petersburg. And the statue itself is giant. Peter the Great sits upon this massive horse. Uh, The horse is rearing back. He's got his uh, one hand facing outwards towards the east symbolizing you know we're gonna build eastward and all this stuff it's this massive glorious statue and even cooler than the statue itself is the rock that the statue is placed upon in fact this is the largest stone ever moved by humans it's called the thunderstone i'm looking up this statue right now it's fucking incredible holy shit isn't it awesome it's called the bronze horseman very very cool that's so cool i'm trying to find like a person for scale it's hard i was trying to find one too um i mean it looks extremely tall and so that's kind of like i shit's shit's big yo yeah (laughs) it's it's giant and now this was the biggest stone moved at the time right no uh, it's still currently 
Oh, wow. By humans. And what's really interesting is this stone was, it wasn't something they just kind of found. It was, you know, people knew about it. And it was, but it was buried within a marsh. So it was like, um, part of it was underwater. The really amazing thing about this is that it was completely moved by by hand. It wasn't. Of course it was. It was. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Russians. It wasn't moved. They, they didn't use any beasts of burden. They, they didn't use horses or they didn't use any sort of large livestock. It was completely moved just by kind of sheer willpower. They just got under it and like light as a feather, stiff as yeah, a Yeah, exactly. <laughs> down um, what they actually did was they. And this is kind of off topic a little bit, but this is pretty interesting. Is the they hired an engineer to help them figure out how to move it, and he said, "We'll wait until winter, and then we'll move it while everything's frozen, because it's Russia in the winter, everything freezes in the in the summer, everything's 110 degrees." Dude, fuck Russia. <laughs> Russia, Russia is, is pretty insane. But they waited until winter when it was frozen, and then they were able to move it out of the ground using using a system of pulleys and cranes uh and they put it onto kind of what it's today modern ball bearings but the ball bearings weren't a thing back then it, but it was these these balls the, the these metal balls that they rolled it on and so they rolled it making a making a, a progress of 150 meters a day and they rolled it to the coast where they built this gigantic barge that was supported on either side by two full-sized warships and put the stone on the ship and moved it to St. Petersburg. Now, to, to, to give you some kind of scale of how big this stone actually is, it weighed 1,500 tons. Damn. Yeah, largest object ever moved. By the time uh, it was actually carved and shaped it was down to 1250 tons but the stone by itself unaltered was 1500 so very very large anyway he, he wouldn't have had it any other way right exactly um he would have been happy about the, shit. yeah peter would have been happy by the willpower power of the russians uh anyway so the the stitch this the statue sits upon this thunder stone and almost immediately after its completion legend begins to surround it it is believed that at night the statue comes to life and patrols the city streets of St. Petersburg. In fact, legend says that as long as the statue of Peter the Great sits in St. Petersburg, it will never be captured or invaded by a foreign uh, group, by a foreign country. How did that work out for them? Actually, extremely well. During World War II, the city is bombarded but it is never taken or invaded by a foreign country. And there's a picture, a really, really cool picture of the statue um, completely covered up by sandbags and this huge wooden structure because they knew of the legend and it was something that they kind of held onto that was like, they can bomb us, but as long as the statue stays in our city, they will never be able to take it. And it was true. It's never been, it's never changed into foreign hands. And the Russians, they just like tied a bunch of peasants right. around it, tied just, a, like meat sponges, <laughs> tied a bunch of people around it. But so, at, so it is believed that night that the uh, that Peter the Great patrols the streets of the of the city that he kind of created, and if seen fit, Peter would kill you by trampling you with his horse. And this 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 legend was so pervasive that the great Russian poet Alexander Pushkin 
wrote about this statue in his poem, The Bronze Horseman. Here, his character Evgeny curses at the statue and curses at Peter the Great for building a city on what is effectively a swamp. And he's kind of suffering serious heartache because his wife had been uh, had been consumed by a flood that had taken this or that had uh, that had moved into the city. You know, the city had flooded and she had died, and he is really upset by this. And he curses at Peter the Great for for building a city on such a horrible location. And Evgeny, as he's cursing at him, sees Peter start to angrily glare at him. And so Evgeny freaks out and takes off running. And as he runs through the streets, he can hear the hooves following close behind him. And the next morning, he's found dead. So, th- so while this is only a poem, there is some fact to it. Police records from the early from the 1800s tell of bodies being found near the statue in the early morning with their heads bashed in, looking as though they had been trampled by a horse. Well, knowing the fucking Russians, people were just like, "Hey, you know Vladimir, let's go kill him and put him next to the statue." <laughs> and then they'd squat. <laughs> Slop squat. Dude, they've got a slop squad. <laughs> but, uh, but so that is that. Those are my two stories of Saint Petersburg. Some good fucking scrolls. Yeah, man, pretty interesting. Uh, check check out the picture of the bronze statue, uh, or the bronze horseman. Pretty cool. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. But yeah, that is that is my story. That is the story of Saint Petersburg. You know how Russian history can be summed up in five words? Yes. And then it got worse. <laughs> <laughs> and what's great is that just that doesn't always apply to the Russians. It can also apply to anybody who's invading Russia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's some good shit, dude. Thanks, uh, man. It's a cool statue. I've never seen it or heard of it before, and it's pretty metal. It's fucking on this big-ass yeah. rock. It's yeah, like it's pretty cool. It's surrounded by like a fence, so it's really hard to get a a scale with like a person next to it. Yeah, it's really you really can't tell. But it's big as shit. It's pretty huge. <laughs> it's big as shit. Have you seen that one statue? It's a little off topic, but have you seen that one statue in Mongolia? Yes, um, it's huge. The hor- like the Chinggis statue? Yeah. Um giant statue in Mongolia. Yeah, it's Chinggis Khan on a horse. Yeah, it's giant. And it's like I think it's maybe... Uh, is it stone? If it's stone, it's got to be like the tallest statue it's, made of stone. It's not stone. Oh, it's not? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's fucking big. Yeah, it's there's huge. Like, it's crazy. There's pictures of people standing on like uh, the very top of his crown. And then they zoom out. Or crown. It's not really a crown. It's like a... It's like a headpiece. Yeah, like a flap. <laughs> Dude, those crazy uh, Eurasians with their big ass statues. Ah, oh, cool. So I was, uh, <laughs> I googled, I googled a uh, giant statue in Mongolia, and like, uh, going down, going down, going down. Oh, look, a statue of a penis. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want my statue to be. Yeah, what I sure. Just a big old Washington monument. What are we doing next week? All right, so I have some ideas. Okay. So we got some suggestions on Twitter. Uh, we got 
uh, 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 listener of the show, Zach Pippen, freaking slam jammed us with suggestions, and they're all Fuck wonderful. You. Thank you, by the way. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. It's that. that was that was awesome. I was like, I had like my phone, and it was just like. Uh, one tweet, second tweet, third tweet, fourth tweet, fifth tweet, like right after, like within like a like a three minute time span, and it was all just like incredible suggestions. But there's one in particular that I think um, we could we could really get some mileage with. Uh, so Zach Pippen's suggestion: uh, battle or war with significant disparity in weapon technology between belligerents. That's a good. It's a good old fancy word in there, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Who are you trying to impress with your fancy words? <laughs> with your big words. Okay, so Stephen, I want to throw a caveat on this. Do um, So that's really a good topic, but much like all of our topics, there's an easy out. Right. You're not allowed to do Cortez and the Aztecs. Yeah. Agreed. 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 Sweet. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think that's uh, that's going to be an awesome. T- <laughs> I think that's going to be a great topic for next week. Uh, thank you, Zach, for sending us all those awesome suggestions, and we really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to send us in a suggestion, Twitter uh, or email is your best bet. Um, but 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 yeah, I think that's uh, is that the show? That's the show. All right, so real quick, if you want to uh, find any of our good st- any of our good stuff. I don't know why I said good stuff there. If you want to find any of our stuff. Any of our good stuff, guys. <laughs> come check out our good stuff. You got to find us on the deep webs to find our good stuff. What uh, are you buying? <laughs> shit. Um, but you can find us on uh, iTunes. Uh, just search for Bad History. Uh, Bad History Podcast. We're up there. Uh, leave us a rating review. Subscribe to us. All that good stuff. Um you can find us on Fuck, Podbean. Stop saying good stuff. What is good stuff? You keep saying know. good stuff. You know what? All right, fine. You can find us on iTunes. Search for Bad History. You can you can subscribe to us and rate and to rate and review us, and that's it. Apparently, there's no good stuff. <laughs> uh, we're also on Podbean. Bad History Podcast.podbean.com. You can find us on there. Uh, we're on Stitcher, Google Play Music, whole bunch of other directories. Twitter at Bad History Cast, Facebook search for Bad History Podcast, and email badhistorypodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for my plugs, Dave. Are you happy? That's, I'm happy. Let's get out of here. All right, let's end the show. Uh, thank you guys so much. Happy history and good scrolls, everyone. We'll see y'all next time.